In 2005, in an old home in Baton Rouge, there was a picture that hung on the wall. It was a distorted picture because there had been years and years of, of painting over this picture by a variety of different artists. It looked like it dated back into the Renaissance. Basil Hendry had actually inherited it from his aunt who had paid $72 for the painting at an estate sale. When he died, none of the family wanted the picture. In fact, it looked a little creepy, and so they just put it in the estate auction and let it go. The painting was taken to a painting conservatory in New York City to be restored, and as the layers of old paint were removed with acetone, the original work of art appeared before their eyes to their amazement. It was the last lost known work of Leonardo da Vinci, the Salvador Mundi, or savior of the world. They had sketches of the painting from Leonardo da Vinci, the, the great master himself, of hands or the globe, but they didn't have a full picture of the painting. In just a few years, the painting would be sold for the highest priced painting in the history of the world, $450 million. When the distorted picture was restored, its value was made known to the world. The value of the painting was directly related to its creator and the price that someone was willing to pay for it. Some people have distorted this view of Jesus, the savior of the world, but John chapter one gives us a very clear picture of who he is. I hope you'll turn with me there in your word of scripture to John chapter one as we walk through this together. But in John chapter one, we see that Jesus is creator. We see that he is savior, but ultimately we see that he is God himself. In John chapter one, the scripture reads this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John writes his gospel to parallel the beginning of Genesis. You may have picked up on some of the language. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Both of these words, one in Hebrew, one in, in Greek, both give the connotation of the very breath of God, this ruach from the Hebrew, this logos from the Greek, that we see in this, in this context that the very breath of God is breathing into creation and even into the incarnate Christ. This is a profound difference, by the way, this idea that Jesus is not created, but he is creator. It's a profound difference in every other religion in the world and what they think about who Jesus is. Jehovah's Witness and Mormons believe that Jesus was created by God because of the terminology God's son but the very word God's son really means essence of God, not created by God to be the son. Sometimes the analogy breaks down for us when we think father and son. Muslims would believe that he was a prophet or a great teacher. 
Hindus would believe that he is just one of many gods. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, the scripture reads, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. In Colossians 1.15, it, it reemphasizes this, and Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Here's a flash bulletin for you. The story ain't about you. Now, I know some of you young people in here have just shattered your dreams because your grandparents have made you feel like you're like king and queen of the castle and that you're number one. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that you're not the center of the universe. Uh, you are not him, as the meme would say. At the end of the day, I, I know this is shocking, but... But the planet you live on isn't even in the center of your own solar system. Your, your galaxy, this Milky Way galaxy, is just one of many. And you're not even in the center of that. I mean, it needs to be reiterated that there's someone else that is the central figure of the story that God himself is the central and lead character of the story. In Psalm chapter 8, it says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And in verse 3, it says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You are not the star of the show. Now, me, however, <laughs> I'm kind of a big deal. I don't like to talk about this much, but I was in a major motion picture. And uh, you've probably seen the movie. It was a blockbuster hit, the movie Radio. I, uh, in fact, I had a, uh, a lead role in that. It was a story of a high school coach who befriended a man who had special needs. And Cuba Gundy Jr., he played the part of of uh, radio, minor part. Ed Harris, he, he played the role of the coach. Um, and, uh, and my role was pretty important. I was part of the 10,000 that were sitting in the stands. Now, many would call them extras, but on that day, I got called up to the big leagues and became a specialty extra. In fact, I got to be the assistant coach for Westside when they were playing in the game in the movie. So I went and got my wardrobe, I reported to the field, the director informed me that there would be no lines that I would have to memorize, unfortunately. But I would have to react to the interception that happened on the field and I would have to just kind of figure out like what would a coach do during that time. And so I just kind of thought through that and I said, I said you know, a coach would run along beside the guy all the way to the goal line because that would probably get him in the movie. <laughs> and, and so I reacted, I ran down the sidelines, I knew the camera was on the guy intercepting the ball, 
And so when the movie came out of the theaters, I got all of my friends and I said, hey, we're, we're going to see this movie that I starred in. And so the scene came and I said, hey, here it is, guys, get ready. This is going to be incredible. This is going to be incredible. You just watch the coach on the sideline. So he intercepts the ball. He begins to run. They, they cut and went to Cuba Gooding Jr. on the sidelines who threw his hat. And then they cut back at the guy celebrating in the end zone. And I was completely cut out of the film. I mean, I was mortified. I mean, my name wasn't even in the credits. And, and yes, I did stick around to check. <laughs> However, if you rent the DVD in the extended footage, there is the scene, and if you pause it, there's a blur in the background that I like to think is me. Ah, oh, listen, sometimes we have just too lofty of a view of ourselves, don't we? I mean, this is an epic story that's been being written for thousands of years for us and humanity. And we get such a small blip on the screen. Despite how many likes you get on social media, Jesus is the star of the show, the creator of the universe. We have such a minor role in the plot that it could be perceived as meaningless it could actually get you depressed if you start thinking about it. Jesus, however, created us to have a part in the story. Jesus is creator, the lead character in the story, and he invites you into that story. He saves you from a life of meaningless. And so we see that Jesus is our savior. In verse nine, as we skip over a section where this character named John is actually bringing witness. He's embedded in the story. This John the Baptist in, in verses six through eight here, we, we see this story kind of unfold and all of a sudden this guy John, this prophet, this John the Baptist that we've heard about in the past in Sunday school, this crazy guy that ate locusts and everything else and, and he's preaching in the wilderness and he himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. And so embedded in the story is this guy, John. It says that he was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. I just wonder if you are embedded in that story, like what role you play in this story, because God saves you from that meaningless life and in verse nine, we see the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus wants to be intimately involved in creation. He is active in creation. He didn't just spin the world on a top and then step back and see how the cards would fall. This is also different. Jesus wants to be known and he wants to know you in relationship. Relationship as close as a child is to his father. Yesterday was a great day for me. I've got three or four boys 
And uh, my wife of 20-something years, uh, I'm kidding. It's my 25th wedding anniversary. This year is 25 years. I can't believe she stayed. So, so if you want to get to know her, you can read Proverbs 31. It's a really good story about her. Ah, some of you have read the Bible. Anyway, so we have three boys. I do have a fourth in the, in, the, in the family as well that we unofficially adopted into it. We all got together yesterday at my son's first football game. He's on the inaugural football team for Anderson University. They had their first big black and gold scrimmage game. We got to go and sit and watch. And Caden drove in. He was actually in the Palmetto Collective uh, retreat this weekend, which is an a incubator for missionaries in college. And, and he came in, and Rokeem, who we adopted into our family that was in poverty, he was first in his family to graduate from college and first in his family to go to, uh, to finish college. And he was at Miami, Ohio, super football player, went to the Pittsburgh Steelers for a short period of time. And then we've got a little guy named Quarter, who I, honestly, I, I, I thought we had an empty nest after we pushed this last one out. And then when, on the way home, there was a voice in the back seat and he said, hey, dad, I'm still here. He's 12 years old. I said, what's your name, son? <laughs> who, who are you? Anyway, he's 12 years old. Anyway, we all got together. And it's just fun. I mean, like, listen, if you've got teenagers, you know you got to work hard at it to have a relationship with them. If you're a parent, you, you know, even if it's a grandparent, you got to like put yourself in their life. But you long to have a relationship with your kids. God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to save you from being a child of wrath, which is what Ephesians chapter 2 says you are. And he wants to bring you into the adopted family as a child of him. God wants to be in relationship with you. He, he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He walked with the disciples on earth and ultimately died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose from the grave so that you would have the right to become children of God. He wants to walk with you. And some of you need to know that despite what you have done, when I said before that you're not the center of the story, you... That, you didn't even argue. You were like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm probably not even in the story. The things that I've done, I, I, I don't know how God could ever even love me. And what I want you to understand about this truth is that no matter how far you think you are from God, how alone you feel, he is closer to you than your very breath. He wants to adopt you into the family. He wants to save you from your sin. Your picture is on his refrigerator. He knows everything about you. And he still loves you just the same. There's an identity crisis going on in our country. Your identity is not defined by your career, your earthly family, your social status, your 401k, your mistakes, or who you were physically attracted to. Your identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. And if you try to find your identity in anything else and stay in the level and world of being a child of wrath, you will never be satisfied. You are either a believing, adopted member of the royal family or you are a lost son or daughter of the king. Your value is directly related to your creator 
and the price that he was willing to pay for you. And so as we think about Leonardo da Vinci, the most famous painting of him is the Mona Lisa. Some of you may have heard of the Mona Lisa. When I was in Paris, France, and we were doing mission work, we actually went into the Louvre and began to kind of experience the culture there in Paris. And we, and we stood in line and we waited because of all the hype of this picture about Mona Lisa. I said, who is Mona? Nobody knows, really. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a painting from a guy who's, who's pretty famous. And so I'm expecting a big, huge, spectacular work of art. And I walk in, and this painting is two foot by three foot. It's actually a little... Uh, it's a little bit of a letdown, especially after all the hype and the buzz. I mean, you almost even walk, walk right by it if it wasn't for this crowd taking a picture of her. And every time you do, every time you walk into the loop, every time you look at Mona Lisa and take a picture, you turn your back on Jesus. Quite literally, because on the back wall is this picture. Now, this picture is the wedding of Cana. This picture, at the center of this picture, is Jesus himself. And it's a pretty big deal. It's 22 feet by 33 feet. Like, that's a work of art to me. Like, that's huge. And when I turned around and saw it, I was like, I was drawn into it. Like, it was life-size pictures of these guys, and this is how big this thing is. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that went to see the Mona Lisa that never knew that was on the back wall. You see... I wonder how many of you have turned your back on Jesus when he has open arms to accept you because you stare at things that have hype and buzz on the internet or social media or you get distracted on things that you think will make your life great. Jesus is your creator. He would be your savior if he becomes your God. And so the third truth I want you to know from John chapter 1 is that Jesus is God. In verse 14, the Word became flesh. Remember the Word was God. In verse 1, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Isaiah writes about him centuries before he ever came. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. John writes about him in his return. In chapter 11 of, of 19 in Revelation, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God." 
The armies of heaven were following him, riding on a white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the Word of God. He is God Almighty. He is the great I am. He is the creator and the judge of all creation. He is not your homeboy. He is not your therapist. Jesus is God. Muhammad died and did not get back up. Buddha died and did not get back up. Confucius died and did not get back up. Joseph Smith died and did not get back up. But Jesus, he created you. He pursued you. He died for you. He was buried, and on the third day, he defeated death and rose from the grave. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, judging all of humanity, and gives you the right to become a child of God. He is God himself in the flesh. He's the central figure of the story. He's the writer of the epic film. He is creator. He is savior. He is God and he will come back. The question today is, is he your savior and is he your God? I was in Hollywood, California this summer. I went with eight college students to serve people in L.A. on Skid Row and in the subways, literally pulling people off the street. You funded them and might not have even known about it. These eight college students, part of the Palmetto Collective, are part of 54 college students who've said, I want to dedicate my life to missions, either fully vocationally funded or leveraging my career. And so as we went, we were underground in a subway, and that's where we met Christian. Christian was a Christian only in name only. He was an addict, cold, hungry, struggling with same-sex attraction, and broken. He had been there for a week after running from Arizona to chase a better life. We gave him a blanket, shared the gospel, and gave him a chance to come off the street, and he said yes. And as we approached, the train doors began to close, and so one of the missionaries said, run, Christian, run. And so they're running through the subway to try to get on the train. And as, as one of the college students just took a risk and pressed the emergency button and it, the beeper started going off and the doors stayed open on the train. And, uh, and so they jumped on the train and then the doors shut. And he just startled because we were in Hollywood, California. He started, he looked around, he said, am I in a movie? And we said, no, man, this is real life. We care about you. We want to take you to a dry-out center supported by a church. For two months, you'll have three meals, a roof over your head, a cot to sleep on, and you'll go through Bible study for six to eight hours a day, and it'll change your life. And all you have to do is say yes. And so as we pulled up to that church and as we began to drop him off, he stopped and he turned around and he gave the missionary a big hug. And he said this, tonight when you approach me, I was planning to kill myself and I was trying to figure out how I was gonna do it. Thank you for saving my life and thank you for letting me be a part of your movie.
I just love that. Listen, Holland Avenue Baptist Church, you've given over half a million dollars just in the last decade to try to see lives like Christian transformed that other people have forgotten about. You are part of an epic blockbuster only God could direct. You joined forces with churches all over this state, rescuing people from brokenness and introducing them to Jesus. But some of you in here may be a Christian by name only. You've never had a heart change with Jesus. You're holding on to all these little gods and you've never released your full life and surrendered your life to Jesus. And for some of you, the last one you're holding on to is what you're gonna do with your future. And God might be calling you into missions or ministry and he wants you to let it go and say, here, I have open hands. I'll go and do whatever you want me to do. Today as we have a time of invitation. The invitation is open to you. If you're someone who's far from God and you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you wanna turn your life over to him, you wanna go public with it within baptism, I wanna challenge you during this last this last worship song that you'd actually step out and approach the, the throne of Christ by coming and just saying publicly, I wanna follow Jesus. And if you're someone in here today that says, I feel called to missions or ministry, and, and I don't know what that means, but I need somebody to pray for me about it. I wanna encourage you to come as well.